One year when I was a kid, my parents took us on a beach vacation, and we went to the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And before we went down to the Outer Banks in North Carolina, one of my aunt's sisters lived in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. So my mom started talking to my aunt about things that, that we should do and things that we should know before we went on vacation. And my aunt's sister told my mom, whatever you do, if you're going to be out at night, make sure you dress warm. It doesn't matter how hot it is during the day. It gets cool at night. So my mom, she took this advice and uh, under, under advisement. And one night, my parents decided they were going to take us to an outdoor event. And my mom remembered what my aunt's sister had said. And so she made sure to pack us sweaters and jeans. And it was 90 degrees during the day. And I looked at my mom and said, Mom, we don't, we don't need this. And she's like, just put, out, put on the clothes I'll tell you to wear. And I'm like, it's hot. And she's like you will be very thankful if you dress warm because it's going to get cold tonight. So I put it on. I mean, because really, what choice did I have? We piled into the car. We got to the event. We get out of the car. Every person at that event is in shorts and flip-flops. It's the beach. Everybody's dressed for the beach. We're getting out of the car dressed in long pants, in sweaters. I'm like, Mom, it is hot. And she's like, you will, be, you will be so thankful you dress warm. Trust me, it's going to get cold. I think it might have gotten down to 78 degrees that night. And we are just sitting there sweating profusely and miserable. I mean, that's really the first time in my life that I realized that Women love to be hot. I mean, if you've ever traveled with a woman in the car, man, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You need an IV because you are dehydrated from the amount of sweat that you're losing. And, and the, the lady next to you is like, can we turn the heat up a little bit? And you're like, heat up? Well, this is miserable. But, but that's the first time in my life that I just realized most women love to be Hot, like miserably hot, but even this was extreme, and I look around, we were the only people, we were the only people in long pants and in sweaters, and for good reason, because we should not have been in long pants and in sweaters, and people are looking at us like we were crazy, because we were crazy, and halfway through the event, my parents are like, all right, let's go, like even they were miserable, and they couldn't hold out any longer, and we had to leave early. We were the only ones there, and if you've ever been the only one in life, you know what happens with that. You get some looks. There's some comments made. There's some snickering. There's some laughter. As we've been walking through the book of Genesis and what we're calling the beginning. We stopped last week in Genesis 6, verse 10, where we saw that there's a problem with everything that God's made in the world. And the problem is this, that all of humanity desired evil. Not just that they would occasionally make some poor choices here and there, but that the propensity of their heart and the propensity of their choices every single day was to pursue evil, to the point that God looked upon humanity and was sorry that he had created mankind. But Genesis tells us there was one exception, and his name was Noah, and he was the only one. He was the only one. 
And sometimes we romanticize the idea of being the only one. Sometimes we romanticize the idea because when you look back, hindsight's always 20-20, when you look back at the only one, they oftentimes are courageous. They oftentimes have the story to tell. They oftentimes should be celebrated. But in the moment, those stories that we celebrate, that level of courage that we admire is dismissed. It's mocked, and it's ridiculed, and it's misunderstood. And that's all the backdrop that we have to keep at the forefront of our minds today as we continue our look at Noah. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us with a free resource that's available in the App Store called the Bible App. You can download that in whatever app store you utilize. And once you've downloaded and installed the Bible app, you can enable the feature called events within the Bible app. And then either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 and Lakeside Community Church will pop up. If you don't want to go through all that right now, the verses will be available on the screens to the side. And if you're streaming from home, the verses will be available on the screen below. As we continue our look at Noah today in a story that you're undoubtedly familiar with. And yet, I think there's some very important things that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds as we look into what God has called Noah to do and the ramifications it can have in our lives as well. So we begin our journey this morning in Genesis 6, starting in verse 11, where we read these words. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. That there's corruption everywhere that God looks, and what goes hand in hand with corruption? Violence. This is as old as human history. Where there is corruption, there will be violence. Corruption and violence go hand in hand. Now, I grew up in a little bit of a legalistic background, like R-rated movies were, we don't do that. Jesus would not approve of an R-rated movie. They had a really big problem when Mel Gibson's Passion came out and it was rated R. whole bunch of people had to backtrack in a lot of ways there. That R-rated movie was okay, but any other R-rated movies you couldn't do. And then people started to, started to try to figure out a way around this. And they said, well, it's just violence. And it was almost like there was this this dismissal of violence being a big deal. And yet, what do we see here from Genesis 6-11? That when God looks out at the world, what, is he, what does he say is, is guilty within everyone? That there is corruption and there is violence. Corruption and violence always go hand in hand. And we may minimize things, whether it's, it's violence or other thing, aspects that, that we minimize because we're more comfortable with than other aspects. There's certain things we can look at and say, oh, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, but that. That's okay within reason here. But it, we got to be careful when we play that game. We have to see things consistently in the way that God sees things. And God calls out here corruption and violence. That they go hand in hand and they both repel the heart of God. That he sees the corruption, he sees the violence, and this is what defines mankind. And God's not okay with that. And God saw the earth, verse 12 says, and behold, it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, you might be reading these verses and think, man, Moses had a stutter. He just keeps saying corrupt, 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 corrupt. But the picture that God wants us to understand is just how corrupt humanity was at that time. That there's anything to describe humanity of that time, it's corruption. 
It's corruption across the board. There is corruption. And the result of this condition, the result of this corruption across the board is God says, that's it. That's it. Destruction's coming. God told Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, if God's talking to you, the message you want to hear from God is, I love you. I'm pleased with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this incredible thing in your life. That's the message you want to hear from God. The message you don't want to hear from God when God's speaking to you is, I'm sorry, I made everybody, so I'm going to destroy them. And yet that's the message that God tells Noah. Now put yourself in Noah's shoes for a minute. I'm going to destroy everyone. God says, when I look out, I, see, I just see corruption and I see violence. And, and because the world is so corrupt and because it's so violent, I'm just going to end it. I'm going to wipe out humanity. Going to make an end of all flesh. I don't, I don't know what Noah said. It, it doesn't tell us. I don't know if he said anything. I don't know if he could speak. I don't know if he was too scared to speak. Because so far, there isn't a qualifier here. Noah's flesh, and God just says, I'm wiping out all flesh. And then the account goes on in, in verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And here we see the reprieve. The reprieve that God gives to Noah. God tells Noah a, a little bit of the picture. And now he's going to give Noah even more of the picture of what God's up to. And sometimes that's frustrating in our lives. Because when, when we're in a situation where we don't understand what we should do. When we're walking through a really difficult season of life. When we have uh, some circumstances that are in play in our lives that we don't have all the answers to. And we're just kind of living in that land of mystery. In that land between things. And it, it doesn't feel like a good place. It isn't a place where we can be full of rest, and it doesn't feel like a fun season of life. It can be incredibly frustrating not to be given the whole picture. And yet what we see repeatedly throughout Scripture is God very seldomly gives us the entire picture all at once. So I just want to encourage you, especially those of you who find yourselves right now in a hard season of life, for those of you who find yourself really in this, this intersection of indecision and uncertainty, that we get it. That's not a fun place to be. And I just want to encourage you, don't lose heart and don't give up. Don't lose hope. It isn't easy. I'm not going to give you some three-step thing that you can put into practice in your life and all of a sudden everything becomes magically perfect and easy for you to experience. It doesn't work that way. I wish it did, quite frankly, but it doesn't. God's starting to reveal things to Noah, but he doesn't reveal the entire picture yet. And that comes in stages and in steps. And the same is true frequently in our lives. And while we want the whole answer and we want every piece of the puzzle instantaneously, God very seldomly works that way. And if you find yourself in that position, I just want to encourage you, don't lose heart and don't give up. What I can promise you is this, God will not abandon you. And whatever uncertainty and indecision you find yourself in, God is not surprised by. But don't give up and don't lose heart when times are uncertain and times are tough. We're told here, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. 
Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is the reprieve to Noah. Now make a boat of gopher wood. We aren't really sure what kind of wood that is. We don't really know the, the equivalents, but God tells him, use, use wood. And then he gives them some specific instructions for what to do. Make rooms and cover it inside and out with pitch. Pitch is a tar-like substance. See, God not only tells him what to do, but he tells him how to do it. And this is what's fascinating about our relationship with God, is God not only tells us what we should do, but he tells us how to do it. And this is why scripture is such a vital, vital factor in our lives and why it's something that we need to engage with. Because God doesn't just tell us, hey, go do this. God gives us the full guide. God tells us how to do it. God tells us the type of people that he wants us to be in order to accomplish the things that he wants us to do. And it's all revealed to us. That's why we must, we must engage with the heart of God. Because God not only requires us to do things, but he tells us how to be the type of people to do the things that he requires. And here God's giving Noah some very direct instruction. And now he takes it even another level further. And he gets very detailed on what he expects and what Noah needs to do. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Now, some of you are scratching your heads right now. Because I don't know the last time you went to the hardware store and got the cubit measuring stick. Uh, but you're like, huh? So here's what we know about cubits. That the ark, the ark was 450 feet long. 450 feet long. A cubit's about 18 inches or a foot and a half. So this ark is 450 feet long. The equivalent of 150 yards. A football field's 120 yards. Some of you are like, no, it's not, Brian. It's 100 yards. you got to add the end zones, all right? So 120 yards is, is a football field. The, the arc is longer than that. It's 150 yards long. It's 75 feet wide, 25 yards wide, and it's 45 feet high. Now, we see some of the ships all the time on Lake Michigan, and we're like, no, nah, that's, that's big, but okay. You have one shipbuilder. One. And Noah's making this boat out of wood, using tar-like substance. And God says, make sure, make sure you put a, a roof over the boat. Make sure that there's a door in the side. Make sure there are three decks. I mean, I want a luxury liner here, Noah. That's what, that's what God's telling him. Make sure you follow all of these things. Again, sometimes following God is this crystal clear. Where God gives us the details down to the exact measurements. And it's so simple and it's so easy. And the question then is just whether or not we'll be obedient. That's the only question. Sometimes in life, following God is this simple. God has given us the instruction down to a T. He's given us every detail that we need to factor in. And the only question is whether or not we will be obedient. 
But sometimes it's not this simple. And sometimes it's not this easy. And even with all this detail, there are still a number of questions that we don't have the answer to yet. And another thing, we take rain for granted. We take rain for granted. It rains all the time. In fact, we're getting into the season where rain becomes miserable because a cold rain is the most brutal weather event you can. I would rather it snow than have that cold rain when it's about 35 degrees and it just soaks you to the core and you're just miserable and you're freezing if you have to go outside and you can't warm up and you can't dry. It's, it's miserable. We take rain for granted. We experience it all the time. Many are led to believe that this is the first concept of rain that's ever introduced. And you might say, well, why is that? Well, if rain was something that people were familiar with in the time of Noah, why in the world would God have to tell Noah to build a roof on a boat? Makes common sense. Of course you need to keep things dry. But if the world's never experienced rain before, something we take for granted, imagine the comments. Noah's already the only person who's conducting their lives in a certain way and living their lives in a way that nobody else understands. And now the crazy guy who makes the crazy choices is out building this giant boat and he's putting a roof on it for some reason. He's lost it. That had to have been the opinion of everyone who saw what Noah was up to. That he's completely crazy and he's completely lost it. That this is the definition of insanity and yet it's what God had called him to do. And I wonder if there's an area in your life right now where God's calling you to do something. And honestly, if other people heard about it and other people knew about it, it'd seem crazy. But is God calling you to step out in faith? Is God calling you to just step out and be obedient with what He has clearly already indicated that you need to do, and yet you're holding back something in your life? Because you look around and you say, well, nobody else is doing it. It's countercultural. It, it, it wouldn't be understood. And the only one. What is God calling you to do today that may not make sense to anyone, but within your heart and within your soul, there is just this burning intensity that you know with beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is calling you to act. God is calling you to move. God is calling you to work. Now, The question I have for you is what's holding you back? Is it the fear of being misunderstood? Is it that God's called you to do something really big, and when you look at it, you're like, a 450-foot-long boat? By me? 
I have to build this? 25 yards wide? 45 feet high? By myself? Without welding? What's God calling you to do? But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And here God promises Noah something. He promises Noah provision. God promises to provide for Noah and his family. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, and every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into, into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So two of every kind of animal into the ark. Store up foods, food for yourselves, food for the animals. And now we get to Genesis 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. So God sees Noah in his house. He sees that they're righteous. Now he wants seven pairs of clean animals brought into the ark. And by the way, you have a week to do this. And then rain's coming. And it's going to rain for almost six weeks straight. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And the result of this is going to be destruction. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. There's nothing about this that's easy. There's nothing about this that's easy. And I just, want to, I just want to remind us that God doesn't necessarily call us to do things that are easy. God doesn't necessarily call us to do things that are fun. I know some of you love animals, and you're like, oh, a cruise around a flooded world with nothing but me and my family and animals sounds heavenly. I cannot think of a more miserable thing. You are trapped. You are trapped on that boat. And yeah, there are three decks, but whew, that's a lot of time to be crammed up with family. And animals. It's not a fun experience. Some of you are like, oh, pet the kittens and love all the puppies and... It's a dog. It's a cat. I've seen it. Like, you're like, oh, woohoo. Day number two, I'm good. Same dog, same cat that was there yesterday. Wonderful. Just a boat 
filled with these things that you're stuck on and you're seeing destruction. And yet Noah did what the Lord commanded him to do. God doesn't call us to do things that are easy all the time. God doesn't call us to do things that are fun all the time. And check this out. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And Noah and his family went into the ark. Listen, you might just be shaking your head at this. Saying, what? What is this all about? Sometimes God calls us to do the unconventional. Sometimes God calls us to do things that are hard, that are not easy, and that to the outside perspective make no sense. And let me just be perfectly honest with you about something that's made this more difficult for all of us, all right? We've all heard the people say, well, God called me to do it, and they're full of crap. And the reason I know they're full of crap is because when you look at what God has supposedly called them to do, it contradicts Scripture. And God is not going to contradict himself. So as soon as someone tells you, oh, well, God called me to do this, and it doesn't align with Scripture, you know they're crazy. Like, they're either making it up, or they flat out crazy. But either way, run. Like, just get away from them. This has made it more difficult for all of us. Oh, like, but God's called me to do this. I can promise you God's not going to call you Bill Nark. Unless it's a tourist attraction. God's not going to call you to build an ark. That happened once. God's not going to call you to be thrown into a den with lions and to shut the mouth of the lions and have you brought out of the den the next day. That happened once. If you get thrown into a fire because you refuse to deny your faith, you're getting burned up. Like, you're cremated. You're like, well, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Why do we know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because it happened once. And yet, here's the truth, and here's the reality. That we don't know what God's going to call us to do. And we can hold up all of these events from the Old Testament in such high regard, and hold them up in such high esteem. We look at the ark, and this is fascinating. And if we're not careful what we do as we start to look at what God's called us to do with our lives, and we start to minimize it, and we start to downplay it, 
And we start to think that our lives don't really matter because God hasn't called us to do something on the scale and on the scope of what we see here. And so if we aren't careful, we just start to think that our lives don't matter. And our lives aren't important. And because God hasn't called me to build an ark to save all of humanity and all of the animals when he floods the earth, then what difference can I really make? Does my life really matter? Is my life really all that important? And we can become discouraged. We can become depressed. Especially in the age of celebrity where we look out and, and everybody is just trying to acquire more and more followers and more and more attention. We start to think, well, if I don't have the recognition and if people don't notice me, then it doesn't really matter. God is not grading your life on a standard of whether or not he's called you to build an ark. God is not grading your faithfulness on a standard or whether or not you get thrown in with a bunch of hungry lions. God is not looking at you and saying your life doesn't count because you weren't thrown into a fire for refusing to deny your faith and walked out alive. God's looking at your life and he's saying, love everyone you encounter. Follow me first and foremost. But live the life that I've called you to live. And imagine the impact that our lives will have if we are faithful in following and pursuing after our God. If we love our families well, if we treat everyone we encounter with dignity and respect, if we live lives of consistency and point people to the hope of Jesus. See, sometimes we build these expectations for ourselves and we become discouraged and we become depressed because we failed to live up to expectations that God's never called us or asked us to live up to. But instead, what He's called us to do is to live quiet and consistent lives for Him. And when God calls us to do something that is unconventional and unordinary, then yes, we step out in faith. And yes, we do that which, is God, that which God is calling us to do. But even if God never calls us to do something radical, even if God never calls us to do something that will be recorded in the history books or be noticed by millions of people, What God desires for us 
is that we are faithful to the opportunities that he has given us. And we serve him. And if you want to do that well, it starts with loving and pursuing God. It extends to how we treat one another. And we are willing to do what God calls us to do, even when we do not understand it. That's the life that God desires for you and for me. And sometimes it's obvious what we need to do because God gives us instruction down to how long to make the ship, how wide to make the ship, how high to make the ship. But sometimes God says, hey, build a roof. And we've never experienced rain before. And we're like, why in the world would I need to build a roof on a boat? That's because when we're at those intersections and when we're in those seasons of uncertainty, when we encounter the things that we don't understand, God already knows the outcome. God already knows what we're going to encounter. And God wants us to step out in faith and trust him. Because he's got us every step of the way. God, I pray that we would be people who live lives that honor you. I pray we would love you and pursue you. God, that we would follow after you first and foremost. God, that we would honor you with our lives and doing what you've called us to do and being who you've called us to be. That as an extension of our relationship with you, we would love everyone we encounter. That we would treat people with respect and dignity and honor. That we would step out in faith when you call us to do things that may seem crazy to those who do not understand. We would honor and glorify you, God. It's what we do. I pray for the person here who's in the midst of that intersection, the person here who's in the midst of the uncertainty. And life is just so incredibly hard right now. God, they have prayed, and they have worried, and they have racked their brains for what to do. And it just seems like there's uncertainty and indecision. And it doesn't seem like there's a solution that works. And God, I pray that you'd give them the faith to see that's when you show up. That's when you do some of your best work. Because we have to step back in that moment. And we have to just shake our heads and say, it wasn't me. I pray you'd work in our lives in powerful ways. 
And God, help us see that some of the most powerful ways that you can work in our lives is for our lives to be seen by others as ordinary and unimpressive. Help us not diminish that consistency. When you call us to do the radical, when you call us to do that which is not understood, may we be faithful. May we serve you in the little things as well as the big. Work in our lives, Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen.